Good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. My name is Chris, and I'm the lead pastor here at OneChurch.tv, and uh, we're so excited that you're here. If this is your first time with us, if, if uh, church or Christianity isn't your thing, or maybe you're just like, you're a person who shows up every week, and you're part of the One Church family, we want to say to all three groups, welcome home. So glad that you're here. We're starting uh, something called For Clarksville today, and it is a series, but it is so much more than that. It really is an intentional direction. We're going to be taking our church. Uh, from now on until Jesus comes back. So, uh, um, and I just want to kind of say this. I mean, for, you may be asking, why are we doing this? Well, for those who don't know, and again, this you may be kind of new to the whole Christianity church thing, but Christianity in America has an image problem. Does anybody know that? We got an image problem. Uh, and to be honest with you, uh, we probably own a lot of that. And we're going to be talking about that over the next five weeks of uh, the perceptions that people have about church, the perceptions and many times negative perceptions that people have about Christianity, and, um, and that's what we want to talk about. Uh, to my, behind me, we have a graph, and it's, uh, it's a graph that I got from uh, George Barna, uh, and it's no secret that churches have been declining in attendance over the past 100 years. Fewer people are going to church. In 1996, the Barna Research Group did a study, and they found this, that even though church attendance was declining, people outside the church, agnostics, atheists, or just people who just church is not their thing, they still had a positive uh, expectation, uh, had a strong positive image of Christianity. Americans, again, even people on the outside of the church, had widespread respect for Christians. Uh, even though they some were atheists or agnostic, 85% of them said, yeah, I believe Christianity is probably good for our community. So when one church started 10 years ago, here's what our goal was. Okay, a church attendance is declining and a uh, big deal about that, but really we want to reach people who aren't going to church. We want to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. So when we started 10, uh, 10, one church 10 years ago in this movie theater, um, our biggest goal was, hey, listen, let's don't bore people. Let's make, let's don't be irrelevant. Let's talk about real things because even though people, they, even though church attendance, was, the, church attendance was declining, excuse me, uh, people thought, you know what, I still respect Christians, still respect the church, but it's just kind of irrelevant. Fast forward 22 years, and in 2018, we see that in our culture today that people who don't come to church not only do they not come to church, they don't even want to consider coming to church because they have such a bad impression of churches and of Christianity. Now, now we just don't seem irrelevant, but now people perceive us as people who are against groups of people and really against everything almost. I mean, don't believe me, just go home this Sunday and ask people in your neighborhood, hey, do you go to church? If you don't, why don't you go to church? And just listen, because you will hit here an earful. Um, here's what's so interesting. I think people know us, and we see that we're against things, not because of what we believe, but they see church and Christianity, uh, it seems so negative, and I quote, so one person says this, Christians possess bark and a bite. They see that Christians seem to be always on the attack. A recent poll, again, for some of you, you, church is not your thing. And what I'm going to be talking about today, this is the reason why you don't go to church. I just want to acknowledge that. 
I just want to say, and I don't want to apologize for that, but a recent study, what they did is they took groups of people who were not people inside the church, people who church is not their thing, and they had two lists, two groups of words. Some was positive and some were negative, and they simply asked the question, pick out which of these words describe church and church people in your mind. Positive and negative. Overwhelmingly, you know what? Which, which side they chose, the positive or the negative? It was the negative. And I want to say simply this. Some of you think, is this, Chris, are you going to be one of those series where this is going to be beaten up on the church? Absolutely not. I love the church. I work at a church. I believe that the church is the best hope for people coming to know Jesus Christ in this world. But I also realize that the church, universal church, we've made some horrific, huge mistakes. And a lot of it goes with perception. So they had these two groups of words, and here's what people outside the church, they said, in order to be a Christian, 91% of them said that you had to be anti-homosexual. That to be a Christian in America means that you had to be against a group of people, the LGBTQ community. Look at the next one. That to be a Christian, uh, the Christians uh, were judgmental. They were too judgmental, 87%. People outside the faith said that we're hypocritical. 85% of people believed that the churches were hypocritical. Or too old-fashioned, 78%. Too involved in politics, 75%. Out of touch with reality, uh, that's, by the way, irrelevant, 72%. And just downright what? Boring. Exactly right. In fact, here is a video of what these group of people, what we're talking about, this study, what they say about Christians. Watch this. Christians are old-fashioned. Hypocritical. Anti-gay. Live in a bubble. Too involved in politics. Uh, They believe that they're fake, phony, uh, talk out of both sides of their face, uh, have a list of rules and regulations that they have to follow all the time, and they're definitely not fun. Christians always have ulterior motives. So a lot of my friends, when they think about Christians, they think about people who have no clue, really. Uh, They live in a world that's not real. They're just kind of their own little existence, doing their own little thing. Um, And they are hypocritical. You know, some of them, again, we say certain things, we don't follow it up. People assume that you're coming from this closed-minded worldview. My non-Christian friends think that I am always judging them, that I think that I'm better than them. They assume that Christians don't like gay people. I feel like we're just in a place right now where we have to surprise people and challenge their assumptions about what Christianity is because the assumptions that people have about Christianity are so firm at this point that they can actually parody us with pretty good accuracy. If you don't believe that, two words, Ned Flanders. How did this happen? How did... We as Christians lose so much influence in our culture. And I believe it's because we've handled our influence so poorly. Uh, We had power, we had dollars, and instead of using power and dollars to reach out and to love people well, let me tell you what we did. The religious right used power to make a point. They used power to make a point. Generally speaking, they didn't use their influence that we had in culture for good. We used it to try to force people to believe what we believe and legislate morality. 
Secondly, we used our dollars to demand our way. Give you one example. I grew up in the Southern Baptist denomination. And we are well known for boycotting companies, picketing businesses, and pressuring politicians to force them to do what we want to do. I remember back in the 90s, man, uh, was it 90s, 89, 90, yeah, 92, I was in college at Austin P. and I remember one of my sociology professors, I, that was my minor at the time, uh, picked up a piece of paper, uh, a newspaper cl- a clipping, and on the front page it was talking about the Southern Baptist Convention boycotting Disney because they didn't believe it was a family-friendly uh, company, and it wasn't a Christian-based company. Now, <laughs> and this person began to make fun of the group of people that I was affiliated with because, and he, he's right, he simply said, you know, Disney has never claimed to be a Christian company. Never. And yet, we alienated people, and we created this us-versus-them mentality, and I had friends in Orlando pastoring churches who made it, it was very, very difficult to be able to reach out to Disney employees because what they heard was that God was against them, that God hated them, uh, and that God was against them because of what they did, how they looked, how they behaved, how they voted, what they believed. And now these people feel minimized at best. At worst, they feel demonized by those people that say they love Jesus. And honestly, this is why some of you have dropped out of church. Because you, you experience this or you watch the church do this and you just decide to run another way. You know what's interesting about this powering, making a point, powering up to make a point and using dollars to demand your way is that Jesus never did this, not once. Jesus never did this. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, he took the form of a servant and he served. Think about it. The, the message of Jesus is the most inclusive, the most welcoming, the most amazing invitation anyone will ever receive. And yet Jesus says, I want you to follow my example. I want you to be like me. And, I, and that means that here at One Church, everybody is welcome. Everybody is invited. Everybody is invited to belong no matter what you believe or how you behave. And everybody gets in the same way. It's all through Jesus. And I believe that if anyone is going to reject the message of Jesus, here's what I think they should think. They should think, the reason why I'm rejecting the message of Jesus is because I don't believe there can be a God that loving. I don't believe that there can be a God that forgiving, that merciful. I don't believe that there's a group of Christians that can be that loving to me, even though I am nothing like them. Yet in our culture, in our city, there are people in your neighborhoods, in my neighborhoods, in your communities, in people right across the street from where I live, we are surrounded by people who are more familiar with the negative part of being anti-this and anti-that and against groups of people. Christians are known for what we're against, what we're known for what we oppose. So many people feel that God is against them, and I believe that is just downright wrong. That's a problem. It's a problem, and I think that is the problem that we want to fix with four Clarksville. So let me just simply say this, and this is kind of where we're going. Many people are more familiar. Many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And this should bother you if you're, if you're a Jesus follower. You want to know the reason why it should bother you? 
Because the most popular verse found in the Bible, by the way, made popular by Tim Tebow. Okay? Now, some of you, I know when I say Tim Tebow, you, you look at me and you're like, you kind of look like Tim Tebow in that shirt. And I understand that, right? Anyway, it, it wasn't that funny. Anyway, John 3.16. You, you know what John 3.16, what word it starts with? For. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, what? Believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. It starts with four. When it comes to God, you should know that God is for you. That God has made his way to you, and yet there are many people in our communities who, when they think of Jesus, church, God, Christianity, they think of what we're against. And that, that's a problem that I want to solve. It's our big idea today. The church should be known by who we are for, not what we're against. Do you all agree with that? I do. It's so easy to be known for what we're against. You know what? Let's be known for who we are for. Every time someone is more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for, there is a gap that happens. Let me explain that. In our community, there are people at home, sitting at home this morning, people in neighborhoods that you live in who are more familiar with what the church is against. And because of that, they think that the church and God is somehow distant and against them. So every time they think that, there is a growing gap. And you ask, Chris, what is the growing gap in our community? Think about this. Montgomery County is the second fastest growing county in the state of Tennessee. In the past five years, Clarksville has grown by 13%. It is the 19th fastest growing county, get this, in the United States. That's nuts. I mean, you got New York City, you got Las Vegas, and you go down 19, you got Clarksville, Tennessee. I mean, come on now, this is nuts. And with all this growth that's happening, 88% of people in Clarksville don't go to church anywhere. That's 125,274 people who are at home today sitting on the couch because they think that the church is against them. And I, I think our goal is we want to create conversations with that 88%. And we believe the best way that we can create conversations is by serving them and letting them know that we are for them, not against them. So here's what I want us to do over the next five weeks and over the next five years and over the next 50 years. I want us... I want us to be able to tell single moms, fathers, couples, teenagers, students at Austin P, soldiers at Fort Campbell, people who struggle to make ends meet, those in the LGBTQ community, people who are disfranchised and marginalized. I, want to, I have some really good news for everybody. The God of the universe is for you, not against you. That the church is for you not against you. The purpose you're looking for, the peace that you're looking for, whatever you're looking for, it can be found in him. His name is Jesus. And we want to let you know that you, that we are for you as well. So what is for Clarksville? If I could just sum it up. It's simply, it's not just a teaching series. It is that, but it's, a, it's so much more than that. Really, what Fort Clarksville is, it's an intentional direction about changing the way people not in church view the what? Church. 
I mean, that's our goal, to change people's perceptions about the church. And again, we started that 10 years ago. Our goal was to get people in here and just not be boring, not be irrelevant. But here's the reality. Less people are coming to church all over the United States. So how do we change their perception of church if they never show up to church? Well, here's the answer. By getting outside the walls of the church. By the church, not just meeting, but being the church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And yes, we meet on Sunday, but we got to take it outside the confines of a calendar and a day on a calendar. We have to get beyond all of that. How do we do it? By doing good and practicing no strings attached generosity. We have in front of us this extraordinary opportunity to share with people and to really correct the mistakes that the church 20 years ago have made of powering up to make a point and using our dollars to make a difference and say, you know what, we're putting all of that aside. We want to just let you know that we love you and that we are for you. And we're going to put our money where our mouth is. Now, the reason why I believe that message can change our culture today is because it changed it 2,000 years ago. It changed it in Jesus' culture because 2,000 years ago, it started with one man, Jesus, who claimed to be God and around his 12 followers. And 2,000 years later, guess what we're talking about? Jesus, a man who is God and his 12 followers and the difference they made? You see, 2,000 years from now, you know who they're not going to be talking about? Me. By the way, they're not going to be talking about you either. They're not going to be talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, right? They're not going to be talking about Brad Pitt or Jennifer Aniston, or are they going to get back together, right? They're not going to be talking about any of that. But 2,000 years ago, this culture, this world changed, and a group of small group of people who had no power, who were in the minority, who had no resources, who had no dollars, changed the world, and it all happened by serving and loving other people. I love that. So let me read to you a portion found in the letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. This letter is called Ephesians. And if you have your Bible app, go ahead and open that up. And you can go to the events and you can follow along with us. Or if you have your Bible, you can turn on your flashlight on your phone and read it. All right? So doing church in the movie theater is a little dark. I apologize. So let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And before I dig into this, let me give you the context of this letter. Because Ephesus was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. It was this large, multicultural, metropolitan area known for its sexualized culture and worship of the goddess uh, goddess Artemis. So this culture was very similar to you and ours. I mean, how many of y'all know today our culture is just oversexed? Anybody agree with that? Some of you, you may not have noticed. um, This is not my notes, by the way. When I stray from my notes, I usually get in trouble. Some of you pass by a theater, and it said on there, cock blockers. This is a jacked-up culture we lived in, right? I mean, we are oversexed. And yet it was just like this same culture found in Ephesus that Paul writes to the church, the Ephesian believers, and he says this. Verse 1, follow God's what? Example. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Let's stop right there. Our responsibility of Christians is just to simply follow God's example. 
That's it. If you want to know what to do and how to respond to our culture, what to do and how to respond to a certain thing that's popped up in our culture, you need to find your answer by looking at what Jesus did and how Jesus responded. Jesus never powered up to make a point. He had all the power. He had every legitimate reason to demand his own way. But he didn't set that example for us. He leveraged his power to love and to serve other people. Mark 10, 45, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We need to follow that example. In our churches, we can either make a point or we can make a difference, but we cannot make both. And unfortunately, when we just make a point and wag our fingers, we lose influence. Jesus made a difference, and we should follow his example. Now, then you need to ask the question, how did he make this difference? What example did he set? Verse 2. Walk in the way of love. Some of you thought I was going to say walk this way, talk this way, and you thought I was going to do a Stephen Tyler impression. I wasn't, all right? But now I'm going to do it. I'm just going to walk in the way of love. So what way of that is that? Just as Jesus loved us, and look at this, and what? Gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's break that down. There's a lot there. Paul says the way we follow God's example in culture and and where we live is that we need to love like Jesus loved. Now, that's not referring to this emotional, sentimental, oh, I've fallen in love. Oh, I I love pizza, right? This isn't about loving people who just love us or who who just agree with us. We don't have to approve of people and what they do in order to love them. Do you know that? We don't have to approve of what someone is doing before we love them. How do I know that? Because Jesus loved the world. For God so loved the... Thank you, all right? Jesus loved, and look at this, he gave himself up. As sons and daughters of God, you and I, we're responsible to demonstrate this sacrificial, supernatural, give ourselves up for another kind of love like Jesus loved. In fact, I love this. God's, God's love is always tied to giving. God's love is always tied to giving. In fact, let, we can just take God out of there. I believe loving is always tied to giving. If, if, if a guy says he loves you, but he is not willing to give you his last name or put a ring on it, come on now. Oh, oh you know, I'm just saying. He don't love you, right? I mean, if you, if you really love somebody, you will give Something. Back to Ephesians 2. Walk in the way of love just as Jesus loved and gave himself up for us. And look at this. As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God loved us and loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son. And we are to follow his example. We are to give and to love, to sacrifice for our communities, for our neighborhoods, for our friends and relatives who are far from God, for people who aren't yet here yet, for people who are at home right now experiencing a hangover or, or, or OD'd on drugs. We are, to, we are for the moms and dads who care nothing right now about God. We are for the bullies. We are for the people getting picked on. We are for mean people. We are for people who are difficult to love. We are for Clarksville. You see, my pushback is, okay, you want me to give to some of these jacked up, messed up, hopped up people? Right? They're not worthy of my sacrifice. And that's when Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
before you get too judgmental and too, you know, too much holier than thou, fast forward to verse 8. For you were once what? For you were once darkness. He didn't say for you were once in darkness. He says, no, you were once what? Darkness. Man, you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Paul says, hey, before you get all angry and judgmental and self-righteous towards the people who don't live the way you live and believe the way you believe, let me just remind you that you were once darkness, that you were once just as jacked up, just as hopped up, and you lived apart from Jesus. And apart from Jesus, you would still be in darkness. Back to, I love Ephesians 5.8. Romans 5.8, though. I love that one. Anybody know what Romans 5.8 says? But God demonstrates. He demonstrates what? His own love for us while we were what? While we were still sinning. While, while you were still in the worst sin you could possibly even imagine, Christ died for you. God's giving is always tied to loving. To follow Jesus' example, we give no matter how messed up they are. Why? Because we were just as messed up. And if our culture is going to see that God is for them and that the church is for them, then we must serve and love no matter if we agree with them or not. Can't, that's extravagant grace. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Can I get some, get some real uncomfortable in here with you guys now? Let me just simply say this. That if Clarksville, Tennessee... If there was ever a gay parade that happened, I would pray that onechurch.tv, that we would be on the sidelines handing out water and showing love, not being with all the other people picketing and shouting and doing all of that hate. Why? Because God is for them. God loves them. For God so loved the... And last time I checked, we all own the world. You see, God loves everyone. God is for them. We should be known for not by what we're against, but who we are for. Jesus served and loved and gave himself up for us, not to prove a point, but to make a difference. And i got to be honest with you, he's made a difference in my life. And I feel like for those, when we get too self-righteous and too judgmental, it's because we've lost our memory of just how messed up we once was. Anybody who can love people who love them, you don't have to have God's power to do that. But look at this, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Now you are the what? Light. Let me tell you, Christians, we're good at being loud, but we're not very, very good at being light. Do you all know that? Man, we're good at being loud. We're like a clanging cymbal with no love. But we're called to be light. We're called to influence people and direct people in the direction that they're going. Paul goes on to explain this further. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and faith, and find out what pleases the Lord. Let's break that down. Goodness. What is goodness? Well, goodness means doing good, but not just to people who do good to you, but doing good to everybody because God is good. Right? Right? That's how we should be known in our communities. We want to serve them and not, and not ask them, hey, do you go to our church? No, if you don't go to our church, we're still for you. We still love you. How about righteousness? Righteousness means that we are people who do justly, show mercy, and walk humbly, and extend kindness to everyone we meet in every situation. 
Could people in our culture use a little more mercy and kindness shown to them? The answer, yes. What about truth? You see, let me tell you what for Clarksville is not. It's just not about doing a bunch of good things and not talking about it. We also have to speak truth in love. You see, Paul says that's what pleases God. If I could just get you guys to imagine just for a sec. Imagine how Clarksville might be different. If we had a church, a group of churches who said, you know what, we are going to live out our faith 24-7, 365, even when we're not in church, we're going to love people, we're going to always choose the best in people, and we're always going to choose trust, not suspicion. We're going to love on people, and I don't care if they ever come to our church. Why? Because God loves them. God is for them, and we are for them as well. Paul, he sums this up. If I can just say this, be the light and do what's right. If I could just sum it up that way. Let's just be the light and do what is right. If you want to know how to respond to everything happening in our culture, when, do you, when, when people disagree with you, when people react, when values shift away from what you value, you just be the light and do what's right. You somehow communicate that you're not against them, that God isn't against them, the church isn't against them. No, that God is for them. Our church is for them, that you are for them because the church should be known for who we are for, not who we're against. So let me just, as I close, just wrap this up with a bow and give you the four challenge. And we're going to be talking about this over the next five weeks. I'm asking you to do four things. And I'm going to rattle them off. I'm going to explain it. I want you to invest. I want you to invite. I want you to serve. And I want you to give. Let me break that down. Invest. Invest. What I'm asking you guys to do is to just get to know your neighbors. You can't love who you don't know. Do you know that? Some of you, you got people living across the street. You don't know their names. You never once showed them that you are for them. For, for some of you, this just may be as simple as wherever you do life. For some of you, you are addicted to some things, and it's called Starbucks coffee, right? And you go to Starbucks once a day. All I'm asking you to do is a Starbucks that you go to, that you make a difference there in that community. You let those baristas know that you are for them. And it goes beyond being nice. What would it look like for you to get involved in their life, to really listen to them? Man, i got to be honest with you. Two weeks ago, my place is not Starbucks. All right? I don't drink coffee. It is Buffalo Wild Rings. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> I was there two weeks ago, and this lady sat down, uh, one of the servers there, and she just kind of vomited her life story. She's getting rid of PCS. And, uh, man, I just said, man, we'd love to. And she, came, she did this because she knew I was a pastor. Not because I wore, you know, uh, a, a thing that says, I am more holier than thou. No, I'm just as jacked up as she is. God loves me. And I want to show her that God is for her and God loves her. And she just said, I'm getting rid of PCS. And I invited her to church last Sunday, and she showed up for the very first time. I was so excited. Another one of the servers sat me down about four weeks ago and said, hey, just want to let you know my, my husband left me. And with tears in my eyes, and I didn't have to get the fake tears in my eyes, I really love this server. We've been in each other's lives now for about five years now, and I've been praying for her. She had a miscarriage last year. 
And when she has needs, we just sit down and we just talk and we just pray right there. You see, it may not be B-dubs for you. It may be at a different place. It may be at, at, a, at a yoga studio. It may be at a at, at McDonald's. It may be for Starbucks. It may be get some coffee. It doesn't matter, but wherever you do life, you let them know that you are for them, and you get involved in their lives. And then, secondly, invite them. We're asking you to choose four people that you will be for by praying and inviting. Praying for them and not treating them as a project, but treating them as people. And inviting them, inviting them into your home, inviting them to hear your story, inviting them to church. I'm going to challenge you to be for your four. And then I'm going to challenge you to serve. We show people that we are for them by how well we serve them. And the thing I want you to ask yourself every day, what have I done for Clarksville today? What have I done for Clarksville today to, to make it a better place? Serve other people, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus first served up. And lastly, is to give. For God so loved that he gave. Let me tell you, loving is always tied to giving. Did you know that? It's impossible to separate loving from giving. Why? John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. Let me tell you, Jesus said it differently this way. Wherever your money is, there your heart will be also. Your heart always follows your money. And money will always follow your heart. So my challenge to you and to our staff and to our elders, we have a financial goal over the next two years is we want to be able to, be able to raise $300,000 with Fort Clarksville. Our goal is to start to find a permanent location. We have land that we owe $260,000 on. $300,000 will more and take care of that debt so that we can have a permanent location so that we can let people know that we are for them. So our financial goal in May 6th, we're going to be asking everybody, and we want 100% participation to be able to say, you know what, we want you to participate with us. And we don't care what you choose to give and what you pledge to give, but we want everybody to get involved. Now, for some of you, you're not giving anything anyway, Right? You just need to know this. I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And I've never done this, and I'm never going to point out what people give, but I want you to, as your pastor and as your leader and as our staff, I want to lead you by example. For the first 14 years of our marriage, my wife and I gave nothing, nothing. We're now we're going to celebrate in 25 this year. It, praise God she's put up with me for that long right? But let me tell you, ever since one church started, we said, you know what, we're going to automate it. We're going to do the online giving thing. And that is the one thing that has kept us consistent. Let me tell you, back in 2017, Chris and Kim Edmondson did not give 10%. We did not give 20%. We gave 30% of our income. And I'm telling you that not to, to break my arm off, pat myself on the back. I just want you to simply know my heart is here. My passion is here. God willing, I ain't going anywhere. I want to see more people come to know Jesus Christ. And my challenge for you is, you know what? If you're not giving a percentage, just start somewhere. Start with 5%. Start with 7%. But what I can tell you is you will never miss the money you give away. Never. I was playing Monopoly with my boys this past week, and I, they've never played Monopoly. And I got to be honest with you, I killed them. I absolutely killed them. I'm really, I'm, I'm 
pretty amazing at Monopoly. And, and the thing I like about Monopoly is I will smack talk to the day as long. I smack talk this morning to them. Saw them at church this morning. Like, hey, sorry y'all got beat so bad. But you know what? As it's, it's, it's I beat them really terribly, I, 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 it's, when the game was over and I owned everything, when the game was over, you know what I had to do? I had to put it all back in the box. And, and with Jed and Bing, my 10-year-old and my 13-year-old, I said, guys, even though I won, it all goes back in the box. I, I, big deal. Big deal. Let me tell you, for some of you, you haven't given anything. And one day, you're going to be put in a box. And you can't take any of it with you. I promise you, you will never, ever, ever, ever miss the money that you give away. And this is one of the best investments for the kingdom. Because over the past 10 years, 11,000 people have come through our doors. 687 people have been baptized here in this church because you gave and because you served. And that's not, again, one church ain't that special. We're just a group of messed up people. He says, you know what? I believe that God can do anything, that anything is possible. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. God, we believe that you are for us. We thank you so much, God, that you can come. We love you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.